You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Patrick, Caitlin, Towner, Mark, Happy New Year. Happy New Happy Year. New We're year. back, 2023. Indeed. Anything going on in the world? One, one more football more. game to play. Yeah. One more football game to play. <laughs> TCU against Georgia. TCU, the victor over my Wolverines. And I now have to serve Zingerman's Deli to the DC office in a TCU jersey. So, Tom and Caitlin, get, get excited for some delicious deli served <laughs> by me and yeah. the winner's the winner's jersey. Um, all right. So obviously we've got this drama over the speakership going on that people are are certainly inside the beltway. And Mark and I were bantering about this a little bit earlier. I think also outside the beltway paying attention to this is one of those stories that you most people are are paying some attention to. I think the longer it goes on, the more people roll their eyes at traditional political nonsense but frankly this is all worth it just for the memes and the tweets i mean hey members are getting a lot of calls to their office from angry constituents they are yeah they are and but that always happens and but the memes and the tweets patrick are i mean they're they're just amazing they're gold if if kevin mccarthy's losing the internet's winning because it's just every day every hour there is something funny Oh my God. So good. So, all right, Towner, you're our guru on house procedure, house rules. A lot of this actually relates to the rules of the house, which you used to write. And mention for our listeners that unlike the cable news shows, you're about to hear from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. By the way, the cable news networks, they're, they just, they are awful. They're just awful. They don't even know. Yeah, they don't even know the rules. They don't even know the basics. And all they do is fan the flames. They're they're disgusting. But my favorite part is when they have a member of Congress on who's not involved in the negotiations and doesn't know the rules. And then they speak about they have a debate about that member of Congress's false statement for a 15 minute. Yeah. Or Tanner, I mean, do you you hear people opining on the network? (laughs) This is just like would be interesting for our listeners. I don't know who any of these people are. And if and I bet you don't either. And you actually did this stuff. Like so, it, it's yeah. just who they bring on to be experts is comical. It's it's yeah, it really is. So so Tanner, level set. Now yeah. people are going to listen to this podcast hopefully at varying points in, in time. But I think it's important we say this is we're, this is Friday, and by the way, uh, a somber and two year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. Uh, But give us the latest as of today after the 11th speaker vote. Where are we on the speakership election? Yeah, so we had the we had the 11th vote last night and it turned out just about the same as every other vote that we've had. All 11 have have generally been anywhere between 19 and 20 votes uh, against McCarthy. Uh, That 
Freedom Caucus group is is dug in. We do have one present vote from Victoria Sparts from from Indiana, and and she's just voting present because she wants everybody to get in a room and talk to each other. So, um, and she's just decided she's going to do that uh, until people start talking to each other. So, uh, putting her aside, the twenty uh, is really the target audience, and. McCarthy can only lose four because you have to have that majority vote, uh, the majority of the members uh, voting. And so you have to have 218 against a 434 total house. Um, and so yesterday was a day of movement. Uh, it was a it was a day of substantial movement. I think Tuesday and Wednesday, there wasn't as much going on. There were some members talking. There was mostly just bickering and fighting going back and forth between the 20 and the 202 that were supporting McCarthy. Yesterday, they started to get down to brass tacks a little bit and really talk through uh, what changes they wanted to see, not only to the House rules and processes, which are which is important. I think we've my my uh, one uh, opinion on this has been that even though I've worked there at the time, we have uh, proceeded over the course of the last 20 years to really, well, maybe more than that, actually, about 27 years to really close down the House process a little bit. Uh, ever since uh, the contract with America, quite frankly, reopened the House process a little bit more, uh, it's just been a gradual decline in the amount of of interaction that rank and file members have with the legislative process, which is, in my opinion, not very good for the institution. So some of these things needed to happen. Uh, going back to open rules, so you can, any member can offer an amendment uh, to an appropriations bill, which is one of the things they've been discussing in the negotiations. There's other things that are politically contentious, like that motion to vacate the chair, to, to vote down, vote out the speaker. And if that goes to one member, can just raise the flag anytime they get mad at McCarthy. Should he should he actually get the speakership, you know, and, and the House has to stop privilege resolution and vote uh, to, to get rid of McCarthy. So they have been going through some very detailed rules language. The House Parliamentarian's Office which is nonpartisan. Uh, the Legislative Council's office, which is nonpartisan, have been involved in these negotiations because they got to write the rules right um, the first time if they're going to do it. Uh, and if they are able to get somewhere, they met last night until McCarthy went home at about 10 p.m., but uh, folks were there until about 1 a.m. again. If they can get a deal on this rules package, then that should bring Chip Roy, who's leading the negotiations. He's a Texas Republican who's, uh, I think most people would say, even though he's Freedom Caucus and they don't know that they really care for him, he's at least uh, very open to talking to other members. So if they can reach a deal, Chip Roy and about nine other Republicans of those 20 will probably come over and support McCarthy. Uh, then you have uh, a few freshmen elect. Uh, that uh, McCarthy's been working on, uh, and he's trying to figure out any way he can to bring those folks over. So they're just going to start chipping away. But I feel like they have to do it today. Friday's the day they had promised that a deal was largely complete last night and that they were going to share language with the members. They have not done so as of uh, 9 a.m. Friday morning, uh, and members are really interested to see it. I think a lot of McCarthy's support will start to, uh, not a lot, but some of McCarthy's support may start to erode if all of a sudden negotiations, these negotiations break down. There's a lot of members so, who just don't want to be here right now. Towner, is the, so you kind of answered this, but is the 20 a block of 20, or yeah. is it different members with different aims and yeah. 
Yeah, so there's there's really um, sort of the the core hell no four um, that uh, obviously we've we've heard from a lot of those folks. Gates and Bobert lead the way uh, for those four members. Bob Good from Virginia uh, is in that grouping as well, and um, and so that's a that's an absolute no. But McCarthy can lose four, so that he needs the other sixteen. Uh, Ten of them, as I mentioned, are you know they want to see actual reform to the process. I think that ten of them actually have some decent intentions or they have some intentions. I, I think they they um, are normally not very well-intentioned individuals, but maybe in this regard, they they actually want to see something done and would support McCarthy. Uh, and then there's a group of, of six that we, we just don't know. Each one's an individual beef for the most part. Um, and McCarthy's just got to deal with those. Uh, these are people too, and they've They've uh, politics is a dirty game. So they've uh, had their spars uh, here and there. And McCarthy's just got to fix those six. So it's really sort of three tranches of members. I would. What? Why do they keep voting Towner when they know the outcome? Like, do yeah. they have to? They is have it? To. Yeah, they absolutely have to. So, yeah. uh, you know, the House. Uh, exists. Members don't exist, uh, as as everybody shared on cable news right now. Um, the speaker vote after a quorum call, uh, which was done Tuesday at noon when they came in, prayer pledge, quorum call, then speaker vote. And you keep voting on speaker unless you can find 218 votes, the majority, to do something else uh, if you wanted to. There's no rules of the House right now. The rules package is passed after a speaker's elected, after the members are sworn in. Uh, so they're really they're really sort of driving uh, care, carefree right now. There's no there's no rules of the road. And uh, and so the question is, uh, what can they do? Anything that they can get 218 votes for. So if they want to adjourn like they did last night and the freedom, how you know they're coming closer to a deal is because the Freedom Caucus agreed to support the adjournment last night uh, at about, what is it, eight or nine o'clock. Uh, to come back at noon on Friday. Uh, the Freedom Caucus has largely been opposed to adjourning. Uh, and if they can't agree to adjourn or do something else, theoretically, with 218 votes, then they have to keep voting. That's the only... I wish I could get my kids to vote to adjourn at around 9 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> never, I never get their votes for that. Well, yeah, anyway. wait. Just wait, Patrick. Yeah. Your kids the are... Freedom the Freedom Caucus. They, they are the Freedom Caucus. My three kids. You have the three Martin kids Freedom and two adults. Caucus. You have to have a majority, Patrick, and you've just uh, you've had more kids. Outvoted. Yeah. Soon, Patrick, they're going to vote for you to adjourn. Exactly. Okay. Go to bed. <laughs> Mark can. Uh, Mark will support me in in, in uh, that. They will soon coming. vote for you to adjourn. Yeah. Um, it's coming. Towner, if he can get over the hump and get the votes, can he even govern effectively as a speaker, given all the concessions he's making along the way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the motion to vacate is going to be the iffy one, obviously, because with a four vote. Uh, uh, difference between the two parties. Obviously, any four Freedom Caucus, five Freedom Caucus members, I should say, uh, could could essentially vote to depose him. Uh, so that's going to be the most difficult one. And that's why having any member of the House, like a Matt Gates or a Lauren Boebert, who absolutely hate McCarthy, being being able to continually raise Speaker motions to vacate is going to be a difficult thing. But for the most part, yeah. I mean, keep in mind, the difficult thing here, and I I don't say this out loud very often, so we'll uh, we'll track our 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 listeners this week and make sure that they're not spreading the message too much. But you know, the Freedom Caucus is largely uninformed about the rules of process of the House of Representatives, which is why they have largely not been very effective. They certainly yell a lot and they get on TV a lot. But for example, 
they want to be on the rules committee. Well, the rules committee has nine majority members and four minority members. So the rules committee is the instrument by which the house is a majority run institution. You literally, if you're in the minority, you cannot win. You have, you have four votes against nine for the majority. Um, and they, the freedom caucus said, we want four of our members to be on the rules committee for those nine. And McCarthy countered and said, how about two? Uh, and they seem to have said, yeah, that's fine. We'll take two members. Well, what they didn't read, what they don't know is that rules committee only has a seven uh, seat quorum requirement, which means that it doesn't matter if the Freedom Caucus people are upset. As long as you have seven members, which McCarthy will have, he will nominate those seven members, then the rules committee can do anything they want to. So th they're trying to get a little, you know, Chip Roy and, and a couple other members are trying to understand the process a little bit more. Yeah. They're trying to be more effective. But uh, for the most part, they're still medium getting beat at their own game. Listen, as you and I have been discussing my perspective from the executive branch, like if you want to control an institution, it's all about the process the bylaws, whatever it is. It's like, and it's the same with a corporate board. It's like the, the devil's in the details and, and that's where things are, are controlled. The fascinating Caitlin, thing, if I could just throw in there real quick, yeah. because the house has not organized, the committees have not organized. You actually, none of the committee websites are up right now. So you can't go on and see the rules from last Congress. So unless you like printed them out, I, I've tried Googling, uh, you know, house rules, inside rules, like what the rules that govern the committee process are for that committee. You can't find them anywhere. You can find an old one uh, from like the 112th Congress, which was a decade ago. But uh, but so these guys are playing without information too. Yeah. Caitlin, do you think that the additional, all these votes, do they put pressure on the 20 objectors? Like, is this a PR game on some level? And is it working? I don't necessarily think they're putting any pressure. I think the ongoing negotiations um, on some of these rules changes, you know, have been what, what's moving the needle. But here's what I will say. The ongoing voting is putting pressure on everyone else, the 211 or some odd that are continuing to vote time and again, less than that, time and again for McCarthy for speaker. We're seeing frustration. Members want to go home. Some of them have you know, small, small children at home or procedures that were planned this weekend. And we're also seeing frustration from them, from some of the rank and file Republican House members, that they're not quite sure what Kevin is negotiating with these 20. And they might be a little uncomfortable with what in fact is being negotiated, whether it's certain subcommittee gavels or um, additional rules. And, you know, I was speaking with a member late last night who said, we can't let 10% of our caucus hold this institution hostage. And some of what's being negotiated is in, in a lot of minds of members going to fundamentally break the institution. So that's well, who I think is really starting to feel the pressure. Yeah. And to that end, is this even about Kevin McCarthy, Caitlin? I mean, at the end of the day, is this really about him? It, it feels like it feels like the dynamics would be the same with with anybody if because he it's not like he's Mr. Moderate. I mean, it's like funny to me how this is being portrayed. Well, I think, you know, to Howard, to your point and to Towner's point, it, it's it, I, you're right. I don't think putting Steve Scalise's name up right now as a candidate is really going to still get to 18. These issues exist. 
the fight still exists, which, and, and Kevin said this last night as he was leaving the chamber, you know, who else can get to 218? It's not about, I think it's not about the person. Yes, there are those three or four that really just want Kevin McCarthy's scalp and don't, you know, and this is personal for them. But for the rest of the folks, I think it's more about kind of blowing up the institution or, you know, as Towner was saying, in a, in a more diplomatic way, making some systemic changes that they believe will help the institution run better. But again, at, at what cost? They're less than 10% of the Republican caucus that's now holding everything hostage. I would, at this point, Rather, we'd be talking to moderate Democrats about a way forward than negotiating with these folks, frankly. Yeah. And, Don't and quote me on that, but... <laughs> I mean, what is it? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. People are going to say that Caitlin became a squish. Uh, seriously. <laughs> well, yeah. So, Pat, Patrick, how are the Democrats looking at this? How are they doing? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, we All know the they're sitting the there loving life watching the the r's kind of implode on themselves but how are the how are the d's looking at it i think they're you know i think they're entertained i think they they are fundraising big time off of this i feel like i get a thousand emails a day like did you see what happened today you know it's it's definitely like it's a political kind of rallying cry for democrats to say see you know look what happens when you put these guys in charge they can't even get their house in order and elect a speaker. Um, probably some nervousness too. I mean, I think Caitlin mentioned like moderate Democrats. I mean, I think people know that like what we're seeing now is sort of a, a advanced look at what we're going to see the rest of this Congress, which is going to be a lot of really difficult days and months ahead. I mean, you know, raising the debt ceiling, doing some of the hard things that Congress has to do you're just seeing that if they can't do something as simple as elect a speaker with a new Republican majority, some of the actual legislating is going to be really challenging. Um, so I think there's that. And then I think there's just curiosity among the Democrats. What is going to come out of all of this? Um, what, you know, what, what ultimately McCarthy's going to agree to. I, I, I think it's funny that they, that it's being referred to as a negotiation because I, <laughs> I don't I don't think that's really what in the same way that I'm tired of hearing the press talk about George Santos embellishing his resume. He's, he didn't embellish anything. He made it up. The it's to say this is not a negotiation. This is a shakedown that the McCarthy wants the gavel. So and the that's the only thing. It's not like they're trading ideas back and forth. I mean, this is he wants to be speaker. And they are demanding as much as they can possibly get. And what is he going to say, by the way? What does he have to counter with? He, he has nothing to offer them. So he can, like Towner said, I mean, he can give them, you know, committee assignments to the degree he can. He can fulfill as many of their needs as possible. But the, there's no, you know, there isn't a back and forth here. This is just like, I'm going to give you everything I possibly can until I get the votes that I need. And that's, that's a, it's a dangerous place to, to be. And to Caitlin's point, I mean, I don't know the players as well involved, but I got to think there are a lot of moderate or just establishment Republicans who are very curious to see what's being given away uh, in order to make this happen. I don't know if that's enough for them to say, you know, we're, we're going to withhold our votes, but I, I, I got to think there's a lot of curiosity in the caucus what they're agreeing to here. Yeah. yeah. So, Mark, is this the same thing that led to underperformance in the midterms. And is this, is this Trump? I mean, if you, if you watch the the stupid cable news shows, 
you know, they look for any way to make this about Trump and call it MAGA. But is it? Is it? Well, we all know that I blame Trump for everything. I blame him for the Still, rain, Mark? rainy weather. Well, Still? no, I think this is the pivot we've all been waiting for, because I think Trump is largely irrelevant to this fight, which is the only good thing so far to have come out of it for the Republican Party. Uh, looking at Towner and Caitlin's party from the other side of the aisle, you know, Trump invented Matt Gates. He invented Lauren Boebert. He, he sent them to Washington to burn it all down, but they aren't paying any attention to him at this point either. So I think the, the, I'd like to blame Trump, but as Towner so uh, eloquently walked through earlier, it, they're all Freedom Caucus members, but they're all in this fight for different reasons. And some of them, the newcomers, aren't even sworn in the first time yet. So I, I have trouble, even I have trouble blaming it all all on Trump. I think it's a great thing that he made his calls and nobody cared. But if yeah. I can just supplement one thing, Patrick said, I, I want to I want to give what may be the last shout out on this podcast to Nancy Pelosi, because she went through her version of this behind closed doors. She got it done. None of it came to the floor. And she left. This is not yet Hakeem Jeffries Democratic Caucus. She left him a unified caucus. It is sitting there, as Patrick said, the, the Democrats are uh, Napoleonic. Napoleon said, uh, never interfere when your enemy is making a mistake. Democrats are just are just sitting there with the popcorn, no alcohol. But that is all one last tribute to Speaker Pelosi and her political skills. I, I think it's hilarious I mean, it's totally when you watch fair. the House oh, floor to see um, – members coming up to Nancy asking for pictures. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. She's a rock star yeah. still. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a totally fair comparison too if you look at her election in 2018. Granted she had already been elected speaker before. So that was she she, you know, had led the party in the majority and the minority for a long time, but I think like one of the things that's driving this and Towner and Kaylin, I'd love your perspective is just the timing and the nature of how the rest of the government's made up. Like this fight wasn't going to happen after Trump won in 2016, because when you have unified government, you know, there's a moment where you can, you can actually achieve a certain degree of what you want to achieve. The freedom caucus guys aren't stupid. They know there's a democratic white house and a democratic majority in the Senate. So like, if there's ever a moment to air this stuff out and to use this moment of leverage, this is totally the time because you got McCarthy trying to ascend to the speakership for the first time. Uh, and, and you know, there's going to be a limited degree where you can actually legislate. So, I mean, it's I think the timing and the makeup of the rest of the government like matters with why it's happening now. I think that's absolutely the case. And I think the Republicans are going to go through what I think is a very good exercise uh, over the course of the next couple of years. Look, Every party who doesn't have control of the White House is deemed rudderless. Uh, there's there's too many voices. There's too many people who want to be leaders, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and obviously, Republicans don't have the White House right now. And they have to figure out who 
uh, is going to run uh, in 2024. Um, and, and I see this as just a early extension to a certain degree of that process. There's a lot of members of Congress uh, who are trying to figure out what they're going to do. Um, and this has become sort of a, can Republicans uh, either negotiate with or extricate uh, the, the Freedom Caucus element from their, from their ranks? And what we've seen is is that they just want to be Freedom Caucus members with or without Trump now at this point, which is which yeah. is I think, well, they were Freedom yeah. Caucus members before, before Trump. Before Trump, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to be clear, it's not all members of the House Freedom Caucus that are opposing McCarthy's speaker bid. A lot of them are voting for McCarthy. It's some of the more extreme, far right, far 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 right of the Freedom Caucus that are these kind of never Kevin's. Well, and I think that's a great point that Caitlin raises. I mean, the Freedom Caucus is now close to 50 members, uh, to be frank. And, and actually, a majority of the Freedom Caucus are, you know, members that are supporting Kevin McCarthy that generally want to get stuff done. I think a lot of them are extremely uh, deficit and budget focused, uh, and they would like to see rules put into place to to curtail or curb spending. Uh, there's been a lot of waiving of Budget Act of 1974 over the years uh, that's led to a $32 trillion debt now and and they actually do really care about that um so there is a, a lot of americans devoted well, for that yeah and what's interesting counter and, and caitlin if you take a little uh longer view here professor french a little uh historical perspective the freedom caucus is be grew out of the tea party mm-hmm. movement the tea party came to town not to burn it down, but to actually fix it. The Tea Party came with all of that budgetary energy that you're referring to. And over, what are we now, 10, 12 years, I guess, over 12, 13 years, there there is still a Tea Party budgetary energy in the Freedom Caucus. But, and this I do think, Howard, is, is... is Trump's fault. I have to blame something on him this morning. There's now an element in the Freedom Caucus that that is just performance art. It's no purpose other than getting on Fox and and counting clicks. And complete obstructionists. Yeah. They don't want the House to function. Well, the problem is, in some ways, it's much easier to be in the minority than in the majority. These people are used to an environment where they can cast a vote and it doesn't matter. It doesn't actually change, doesn't actually mean anything because they know they're going to lose now. Now they actually have theoretical power and they're... Well, yes and no. I mean, that's Patrick's point. In, for two years, they had actual power. The first two years of the Trump administration, now they have actual power in the caucus, but the caucus has no power because the White House and the these are democratic. No, they have power. They have power within the institution. They have power to oversight pass legislation. They have oversight. They just can't. Yeah, yeah. they can't. It's not going to be enacted into law. But I mean, the House has power. It has a podium. It has. The breaking news is that at 1015, so in 45 minutes, uh, the Republicans will be on a conference call talking about the rules package updates. Well, let's talk about that, Towner, a conference call. That's a little, uh, a little. And there's members that are upset. 
that Not McCarthy wanted to do a conference call. meeting, but a conference call. So what you're saying is this podcast will be completely irrelevant by the time people listen <laughs> absolutely, to it. Absolutely. We'll have to re-record at 1030. We'll, we'll all know by then what concessions we're giving up. Yeah, I'll just remind Towner and Caitlin have already said things they said they didn't say. So the irrelevance of the podcast may, may be a gift. Yeah. You know, one thing that just quite the contrast. This week you had Joe Biden, Mitch McConnell, Sherrod Brown, Rob Portman, Andy Bashir from Kentucky, DeWine from Ohio go and celebrate the reconstruction or construction of a bridge from um, Kentucky to Ohio bipartisan while this nonsense was going on on Capitol Hill. It was, it just felt like we spent a lot of time last year talking about Biden missing the moment Biden doing things like this that were obscured by kind of the dysfunction in Washington, but that turned out to not be correct. It's like the steady drumbeat of success drew quite the contrast enough of a contrast that it had at least some impact in, in the election in the fall. And I just, I think this, I can, you can hear the speech already. I wrote it on our text chain this week. While I was putting a shovel in the ground on a bipartisan basis, you know, the Republicans couldn't even get their act together, Caitlin. And it just feels like it, it felt to me like the 2024 kickoff in 2023. Not to mention Joe Biden is also, he announced this week, finally going down to the Southern border. He announced a couple of steps that I know have angered many in his own party and in his base um, to sort of tighten immigration at the border. And I thought that was just really interesting timing that that was a, that's been a big point of criticism from Republicans that he hasn't addressed immigration, that he hasn't gone to the border and, you know, he announced this week that he's doing that. So I thought that was also a very interesting timing. Yeah. It's, Mark, it just feels to me like the steady drumbeat of governing is, is winning, which it's, it's a tortoise and hare thing. Yeah. It's a beautiful Biden. thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm going to give the white house comms team, which I and, and everyone on this podcast has bashed for two years, give them points for picking a bridge between the North and the South as the context for that. They could have picked an airport or a highway or a semiconductor plant, but they picked that bridge. I, I thought it was one of the most powerful visuals of the Biden era here and I couldn't agree with you more, Howard. That that is the kickoff. That in some in in a funny way, Mitch McConnell attended the kickoff of the Biden reelect campaign. But isn't it I it, it yes, exactly. And isn't it funny that he agreed to go, Towner? And, and Sherrod Brown's reelect campaign. Yeah, right. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is as well as the top day. targets. Yeah. Look, that that active that showed that we still have senior statesmen and senior statewomen in this in our in our government. And that was good. And 
And I think, you know, Mitch McConnell is is probably also sitting back with the popcorn watching what's happening in the House, you know, thanking the fact that this is why the Senate is a very different institution than the House. And that's why he worked, you know, he and, and a group of bipartisan senators led by Shelley Moore Capito and others worked so hard to pass a bipartisan infrastructure bill that many House Republicans campaigned against many primary opponents to some of these folks, you know, hit them on. And it, it's it's sort of a little bit of a silver lining in showing that there are true, you know, statesmen that are in D.C. to actually get stuff done for the country. Well, why did McConnell show up, Towner? Well, because it's the difference between six-year terms and two-year terms. And that's what it is. Senators can do whatever the heck they want to do. They get really conservative or really liberal uh, for the last two years of those six years. Uh, and uh, except for Sherrod Brown, who's using the Tim Ryan playbook uh, in Ohio, uh, because he is way too liberal for that state. And he is trying to figure out a way to come to the middle. And this was a perfect opportunity on infrastructure to be able to do it. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's the protection uh, of a six year uh, term in office. Uh, you can you can do those things. You can make the votes that that uh, that senators made on the infrastructure bill, uh, especially, um, and not face those political ramifications. And we we neglected to mention that he this week is now facing you know the the, the he passed the historic uh, milestone of being the longest serving um, majority leader in in Senate history. So he's, he's Mitch McConnell's having a great week. <laughs> it's it's just it's also. Kentucky. I mean, it's right. Kentucky. Right. It's constituents. Be there. Right. Yeah. The bridge. <laughs> right. The other end of the bridge is in his state. Well, what, this is what people don't get to see that we see every day is that as thick as Democratic and Republican politics are, these folks will unite around a constituent interest much often much more easily than they'll unite around a political, even a political interest. I mean, if you find an issue that I know Rob Portman's now out of the Senate, but if there's a constituent issue in Ohio, Rob Portman's a staunch Republican, Sherrod Brown's a staunch Democrat, but a constituent interest in Ohio is much more likely to unite them than anything. I mean, and that's just a fact of life in in government that I think the media spends so much time driving a wedge between Republicans and Democrats that people don't get to see the fact that they're actually much more interested in uniting around an issue that impacts Ohio or Kentucky than they are something that serves that serves a, a political cause, Towner. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. What, what you're seeing right now, though, which is very interesting to me, is sort of the the notion of protectionism leadership versus activism leadership uh, going on. You know, the Senate, uh, you know, put McConnell back in. Sure, Rick Scott voted or ran against him and was able to peel off a couple votes. But at the end of the day, Republican senators want Mitch McConnell to be their leader because he protects them. I I call it the Roger Goodell effect. So, you know, the NFL keeps Roger Goodell on board because he's going to take all the arrows and he's going to get paid really well to do so. Uh, But it's really, really well. Yeah, really, really well. (laughs) 
but it saves the NFL teams and owners from having to take those same arrows all the time. Uh, there's some activist owners, see Jerry Jones and others. There's some activist senators in the Republican conference, see Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and, and a few others. But for the most part, uh, you know, two thirds of the Republican conference in the Senate just wants to sit right back there behind McConnell and be like, you take every arrow you need to. I'm happy to keep reelecting you over and over again. We're not seeing that with the 20 in the House. They want to be activists right now. They want to be they want to be out in front. They want their names to be bigger than McCarthy's name, which is uh, well, which is a problem. You know, as I listen to you, Towner, uh, and and. For Patrick's benefit, what would a podcast be if I didn't cite the founding fathers? But this is actually the way it got set up all those years ago. The Senate is supposed to be, with the six-year term, the more deliberative and, and the more reflective body. The House is supposed to be what it is. The the people. 435 different perspectives yeah. on what's good for the country. Yeah. Yeah, and this this will get sorted out. We've been talking about it, Howard. It'll get sorted out and and forgotten until the next fight, and then it'll be cited as ancient history. But we've we've been through this before, although not in a hundred years, I guess. And and this this too shall pass. But it is fascinating to step back and see that this. This is the way they set it up. Your founding fathers, Patrick. This, this fight is brought to you by your founding fathers. I founding fathers, but I will say all of the history of like the speakers <clears throat> races a hundred years ago that have gone, you know, all these ballots and kind of a lot of the fun towners given us a lot of fun historical tidbits. It should go like with a mention that no one had anything to do back then. <laughs> like this, this, one, no. this is not gonna go a hundred rounds. Like people have cars and planes and internet, and they're not gonna sit there. Yeah. They're not gonna sit there in their wigs with their pipes for like right for a month. It's not gonna happen. Right. No one, three no weeks one has the no one has the patience for that. So well, I like the um, <laughs> analogy to football owners because Towner, I think your owner is like the Freedom Caucus. And yeah. as 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 symbolized by his new mascot, the pig. Yeah. Well, he's the you know he's the Matt Gates of uh, the NFL. He yeah. is not going to be in the NFL much longer. But well, with he, a little luck, Matt Gates won't be in Congress. So exactly. <laughs> hopefully, speaking of football, Mark, you declared my Giants dead when they lost to the Eagles several weeks ago, and this weekend. My Giants have the opportunity to knock. Yes, you have one Super Bowl championship in your um, history, you Mark. Can't, you can't see one. it on, on the podcast, but I am wearing, a, yes, I'm celebrating our most recent Super Bowl championship. So also happens to be the only Super Bowl championship. So this weekend, my Giants have the chance to knock your Eagles out of the number one seed, which is the Eagles. Delicious. Are Super Bowl contender with Jalen Hurts and don't belong in the playoffs without him. So we'll we'll see who's at quarterback this Sunday. He uh hurts his hurt and uh we'll see what happens. But but kudos, kudos to Howard for the Giants and the wave, roll wave, roll the most wave baby of them all. 
about yeah. 170,000 reasons why <laughs> I want to roll wave. Uh, like, predictions as we wrap things up on uh, how many ballots it's going to go, what's going to happen. Should we, should we make some predictions here? Oh, Caitlin, bringing us back to the <laughs> purpose of the podcast. Come on. Now let's make some predictions. That's a great idea. Towner. I think it's a you know what or get off the pot sort of moment today. Uh, I do think there's going to be a number of additional ballots before any sort of decisions get made later tonight. Uh, I think the Freedom Caucus guys are not going to want to let them adjourn, quite frankly, and the Democrats certainly don't want to let the Republicans adjourn and continue to negotiate and talk about it. And so um, I do think we're going to see, starting at noon, a, a fairly decent round of, of votes, probably, uh, unless the Freedom Caucus determines that they're close enough. I do think on this conference call that's happening in, in 30 minutes now, uh, you're going to get uh, some members who are just like fine and some members who are going to be completely outraged. Um, but uh, I do think, well, let me say this. I, I think it's going to be, if Kevin McCarthy is speaker, I think it's going to take probably five more ballots or six more ballots. If somebody else is speaker, it could take 35 more ballots. I have no idea at this point. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it'll be McCarthy soon, like today or the next day or two, or they'll move on and then who the heck knows what happens next week. I will say you guys treat your moderates the way we treat the progressives in the Democratic Party. They're going to crow and get so mad, but you're going to be like, well, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Yep, <laughs> that's, exactly. That's how it's going to go. Well, it's so twisted who is being labeled a moderate in this context, by the way. True. Like Kevin McCarthy voted against certification of the election. I mean, which doesn't make, that's not what defines, well, maybe it is on some level, but the, it's, it's at least a present day proxy for moderation on some level. And it's, it's just, it's all, it's all crazy. By the way, moderate is a bad word now. Uh, most moderate Republicans that we would normally refer to do not like, they want to be called governing Republicans now. Uh, governance group, the Tuesday group, group, the main street, the problem solvers. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it doesn't even matter. It's it, to me, it's institutionalist or anti-institutionalist. That's what this is fundamentally about. Well, my prediction, Howard, is take TCU and the points. C- Cinderella season. I agree with that. I'm I'm going to put some money on Madison yeah. Smith's TCU Horn yeah. Frogs. Yeah. Which, by the way, is the greatest <laughs> animal is. mascot ever. I the guess. Horn Frogs. <laughs> it's it better than the Commander's Pig you now have, Tower. So. <laughs> well, my prediction is they've got to just lock the doors tonight, keep them all there, grind it out, get it done. I think it takes at least 18, at least to ballot 18. I think Kevin does initial, uh, does eventually get there. It's going to be messy, but they he can't let them leave. I think if he lets them leave and they adjourn over the weekend, we're, it's, we're in big trouble because this thing is not getting resolved well, anytime soon. My- bring it home, Caitlin. I have my photo with uh, Leader McCarthy. I, I don't want it devalued. Bring it home. My prediction is that if they don't get it done today, this goes a long time because there's no obvious alternative. And maybe they let it keep going and going until you have a house full of staffers that can't get paid because the house isn't because <laughs> there is no house the 13th with committee staff. Right. And, and 
that maybe pushes some of the Democrats over to to vote in a in a way that enables McCarthy to become speaker with a bunch of concessions. I I don't I don't I don't know. That's I, I you know I as I think about this a little bit more, I think if McCarthy doesn't get there today, I think this actually wraps up pretty quickly. Like everybody just goes fine, Scalise, go, done. The same issues are present though. Well, that's, Mark, why do you think okay. your picture gets devalued? I think it gets more valuable. I think I think I think you, <laughs> yeah, it's I think a collector's it's item. This guy, this guy was gonna be speaker, right? And then I hung out with him, and then it didn't happen. I think it's a no, it's story. like it's like having. <laughs> see, you don't even know who Pete Best is, do you? Pete Best was the drummer for the Beatles before Ringo. That's and, what I'm saying. Yeah. Having a Pete Best picture—that's what the Kevin McCarthy picture. By the way, (laughs) by the way, speaking of speaking of the Beatles, only one person on this podcast spent time with the sole living Beatle. I should have started with that, guys. Awesome, right? You buried the lead, Jake Schweitzer. I was say Jake's. Yeah, this is a your kid is a lot cooler than you story. Jake got the hang for sure. Jake Schweitzer worked out in the gym next to Sir Paul for an hour. He spotted Paul on the bench press. (laughs) Oh, I thought I thought maybe this had something to do with uh, Jake being recognized for his trumpet play by a fantastic musician as well. No, as as Patrick pointed out, I should I should have told Sir Paul that Jake quit the trumpet, (laughs) which Jake pointed out he didn't quit the trumpet yet. The trumpet quit him. There you go. Anyway, uh, all right, guys. Well, this was great, and we'll be back next week. Who knows where we'll be? We'll see if our <laughs> predictions are correct, but a lot of fun and uh, good sport, and we will be back. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.